Well, hello. So, uh, like Sam in the video said, my name is Landon King. I'm a ridiculous human being, obviously. I uh, have a terrible sleep schedule, as I think many of us do. Uh, I have a family. Yes! Uh, with my parents, Greg and Stephanie, who I love calling by their first names whenever they're not physically around. My sister, Samantha, who just graduated from undergrad at the University of Georgia. Go dogs. And then my 100-and-something pound black bear, I mean black lab, Berkeley, up in front. Love him to death. Uh, beyond just family, I went to school. Uh, just graduated from, slash will graduate from, yay, Providence Christian Academy in Lowburn, Georgia. Go Storm. Love that. And then in the fall, I'll be attending the University of Georgia. Go dogs. And so, despite the fact that, like, Go Dogs is so much more well-known, coming out of four years of having just the greatest mascot of all time, the Storm, I struggle to believe that anything will top the iconicness of that phrase. But we'll see what the next four years holds. Uh, beyond just the obligatory family and schooling, I do other things. Uh, past seven-ish years, have enjoyed doing long-distance running, because I enjoy that kind of torture. I mean fun. And then also things like the arts of the photographies, as Sam mentioned, and the musics. So if y'all fall into any of those categories, you are my people. Uh, and beyond that, I love Jesus. And if y'all love him too and need him as desperately as I do and as we all do, uh, you're not only my people, but also my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I'm kind of going to talk about that today. Uh, so the theme for this week surrounded. We're digging into the book of Daniel a little bit. Tonight, I'm going to open us up and just talk about how we are surrounded by brokenness. We once weren't, but now we are. And so opening up into the story of Daniel in chapter one, the Israelites were taken into the foreign land, uh, the kingdom of Babylon. They were taken away from their homes in Jerusalem and enslaved. And the, the separation that they had from, from God's and their rebellious hearts now became clearly manifested in the environments around them as they were now surrounded by a people hostile to, to their culture and to them and to their gods. And it's sort of like we're surrounded today by a lot of physical reminders of the brokenness in this world. 2020, oddly more so than any year in recent memory, between international pandemic and divisions within people and racism and hatred and just you can go down the list of each different level with each month of the things that so clearly show us that our world is tremendously broken. And so we're going to kind of look across the course of human existence like a, a stone skimming across the water. We're just going to take a few brief looks into how everything once wasn't broken and it once wasn't as depraved and sinful as it is now. But the pattern of mankind uh, and of our own broken, sinful human nature is that we turn away from God and pursue the paths that lead us to destruction. And ultimately landing at our inability to do anything to save ourselves and finally resting at our need for a savior. So before I get too much further in, let me go ahead and pray. Lord God, we, we need you here tonight. 
God, we need you in the midst of our brokenness as we look around us, as this year's Rush Conference is different from anyone before, and it's a clear signal and sign of the brokenness of our world uh, and everything that we are surrounded by that makes life so difficult. God, I pray that you would be here present tonight, Lord, that you would be speaking through me. God, would you use me as a broken vessel to speak your words and not my own, God? May I set aside any striving for eloquence or any pride of my mind, Lord, but instead would you just use me to proclaim your name and your name alone, God, because we need you. Praise all in your name. Amen. So we're going to start off back at the very beginning in the book of Genesis. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, and it was good. It was very good. It was perfect. And God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden, and he provided everything for them. They could eat the fruit of any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they had it made. They walked in physical communion with God in the cool of the evening. Like, what does that even look like? I can't imagine. But they had it all. And they didn't do anything to earn or deserve it all. God gave it all to them and placed them in it. And everything was perfect. Like Kanye says in his new gospel album, they had everything they need. But then, as it says in my favorite Disney princess movie, Tangled, for that moment was perfect. But then that moment passed. And Satan came in the form of a serpent to deceive them with a lie of twisting God's words, questioning them, did God really say not to eat of the fruit of this tree? Is God withholding something from you? Maybe you can be like God and God doesn't want that. Maybe the plans that you have for yourselves could be better than the plans that God has for you. And so appealing to their own pride and sinful desires, Adam and Eve were tempted and ate of the fruit, and in that instant, they were spiritually dead. And death and the brokenness that we see around us entered this world in that moment. And Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, and judgment was pronounced on Adam and Eve and on the serpent, and things didn't look great. All of a sudden, all that which was perfect was now broken beyond repair. And then we move forward to the nation of Israel. They had just come out of the desert and, uh, from their exodus. They were God's chosen people, and God had called them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I recently had it explained to me kind of the weight of what that meant. See, honey was about as sweet as anything God back then. They didn't have Splendas or Sugars or Twinkies or Swiss Rolls. They had honey. And so calling the promised land a land flowing with milk and honey is saying that is as good as it got. Not only was it a land flowing with milk and honey, but it was a land filled with cities and vineyards and fields, all things that the Israelites had done nothing to create, but that the Lord was going to hand over to them from the people in the land. And God called the Israelites to drive out the idol worshipers and the pagans of the land because he knew that if they allowed themselves to be surrounded by those people, that they would fall into that brokenness and that pursuit as opposed to a pursuit of God and what he had called them to. And he doesn't just call them to drive them out like, good luck, you all Israelites. I believe in you. No, he says in Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, for the Lord your God 
It's he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. God isn't saying to the Israelites, God isn't saying to us, I hope you have enough power and strength. God says, I'm fighting your battles for you. Just trust in my plan. But then the Israelites, similar to how Adam and Eve did in the garden, questioned God's plan and what he had for them. They stopped short of driving out the people of the land, the idol worshipers. And then over time, they fell into that. By interacting with and intermarrying with the people of the land, Israel too then, in rebellion against God, fell into idol worship and Baal worship and Asherah and pole worship. And they descended once again into brokenness. Like in the garden, they had walked into a land that they had done nothing to deserve. And then by their act of rebellion against God, they descended into a brokenness that they could not rescue themselves from. And we see a cycle through the book of Judges of defiance of the Israelites and them being oppressed by the people of the land. But then all of a sudden, over time, they realize, look what we've done, and they repent of their sins, and God sends a judge to deliver them. And they live a life of holiness as God had called them to for the life of that judge, but then as soon as that judge dies, surely again they descend into, once again, rebellion against God. And reading it, sometimes we wonder, like, don't you get it, Israel? Like, God has what's best for you. And turning away from him and following your own path will lead every single time to death and destruction. And so that's sort of where we come to at the beginning of the book of Daniel. Over time, uh, instead of being a nation led by judges, the Israelites decide that they want a king. And so God gives them Saul, and then after Saul, David, and then after David, his son Solomon. And then after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel is split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And in the kingdom of Israel, there is not one good king who seeks after God or obeys him. And in the nation of Judah, there's only a handful, less than half of them are seeking after God. And we see once again this cycle of rebellion and of brokenness as the kingdom of Israel and man chooses their own way instead of God's. It's a way that leads down to brokenness and to oppression. And so that brings us to the beginning of the book of Daniel of how did the Israelites end up being surrounded by the nation of Babylon and by an environment that is so hostile to them? It is by rejecting God's will. And it says it clearly in Isaiah 3, 8. Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. It's clearly cut out cause and effect, rebellion and defiance and speech and deeds and now the stumbling and falling. And so they end up enslaved in Babylon, just as Adam and Eve were enslaved to sin, and surrounded by brokenness as the Israelites were surrounded by their oppression. So we're going to jump forward a little bit further to Luke 15, where Jesus is telling a somewhat similar story once again of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, he had it made. He was living in his father's house, and he was well taken care of as far as he needed to be, by nothing of his own doing, but rather by his father's provision. And then the prodigal son, rejecting what the father had before him and set out for him, says, I don't want what you have for me. I'm going to follow my own will and my own desires. 
So give me my inheritance now. You're as good as dead to me. And let me go do my own thing. And so he takes his father's inheritance that is given to him, and he runs off into a foreign land and squanders it on loose living of drunkenness and prostitutes and all of the things that kind of make sense of not being what he was called to live like. And then suddenly this path, a famine comes, and this path that the prodigal son thought that he wanted to take, to take the, the path that he thought would lead him to satisfaction, led him to brokenness and to despair. And once again, he is surrounded by the physical manifestation of what he thought was his will, but was ultimately his destruction. And that's where we're left on our own. It looks different for all of us. But ultimately, if we're apart from Christ, as we follow the desires of our own hearts, it leads into nothing but brokenness. And we can see it all around us. And, and all of the challenges that we face and all of the, the signs and realities of the brokenness of this world, we can see how far we have fallen from the perfect creation that God made in the garden and in the promised land for Israel, and in the father's house of the prodigal son. On our own, we are doomed to fail, entirely unqualified to live this life in any way that would lead to success. Scripture speaks this several times. In Romans 6.23, Paul says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 3.23, he then says that the wages of sin is death. And the all-inclusiveness of that all have sinned. You know, I think sometimes in my own pride and arrogance, I think like, okay, I've sinned, but like, not that bad. But in, in every lie that I tell, in every moment of pride, in everything that I place before God, maybe not as a physical idol, but rather one of my heart, as I seek after the things of this world, in the way that I should be seeking after God for fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose, I sin, and it leads to death. And in case sometimes I try and think like, well, maybe there's a chance for me. Romans 3.10 tells us that no one seeks God, that no one is good, no, not one, no, not me, no, not any of us. And we are broken. And in our brokenness, we are surrounded by our own brokenness and the brokenness of others. In a world that is broken and set against God and hostile to him, just as the Israelites were in the nation of Babylon. We are like an unqualified ship captain trying to sail the seas with no knowledge of, of tides or of navigation. We might make it a little ways, but ultimately, we are bound to wreck and to be dashed upon the rocks, cast into the waves, hopeless on our own. Another illustration of it might be saying that we are toddlers behind the wheel of a tractor trailer. If we saw that in real life, we'd be pretty sure we knew what was going to happen. There would be a catastrophe and a spectacular one as that, as this toddler who is entirely unqualified to carry out the role, the path that he is in, eventually will wreck and will wreck catastrophically. And so in the garden, that's where Adam and Eve were left. In the story of Israel, they were left surrounded by the nation of Babylon in a world that was hostile to them and to their God, even as they had rebelled against God themselves. And in the story of prodigal son, he was left 
out on his own, destitute in a foreign land. But that's not where God leaves us. In the garden, shortly after pronouncing his judgment for the very real consequences of their sin, in Genesis 3.15, sometimes known as the Protoevangelium, the first good news, God promises a savior to come. That there would be one who, though the serpent would strike his heel, he would crush his skull and take the ultimate victory over the sin and brokenness that Adam and Eve had brought into this world. Even after pronouncing his judgment, as God spoke through Isaiah to the people of Israel, he speaks also in Isaiah chapter 53 of a Savior who would come, and by taking upon the transgressions of the people in his own wounds, he would save the people from their brokenness and from their sin and from their rebellion. And the story of the prodigal son, as the prodigal son realized that he was entirely unworthy to be called the son of the father. He returned seeking to only be a servant or a hired hand. And yet when the father saw him, not through anything that the son had done to deserve his love, he had done nothing worthy of being held high or applauded or rewarded. He ran out to him, he met him, and he put a ring on his finger and a cloak around his shoulders, showing his unrelenting, steadfast love for the son. And that's us. We're Adam and Eve in the garden every time that we say to God, consciously or subconsciously, that I think what I have for me is better than what you have for me. And we follow that path like the prodigal son as we pursue our own wills, but it's the path that leads to destruction, to death. Like the nation of Israel turning time and time again away from God into the things of this world, the things that are surrounding us, that are promising us satisfaction and fulfillment. We're once again enslaved to those things, enslaved to our sin, and entirely undeserving of God's love. God created us in perfection in the garden, and we messed that up big time and have no right or claim on our own to what God has promised us. But to conclude, in a slight change of gears, I want to talk about my favorite Tom Hanks film, Forrest Gump. Some of y'all may have seen it, some of y'all may have not, but the gist of it is that there's this character, Forrest Gump, from Greenbow, Alabama, who somehow interweaves into all the major events of the 20th century. But throughout the story of Forrest Gump, there's an interaction between Forrest and this girl named Jenny. And Jenny and Forrest, from a young age, Forrest decides that he loves Jenny. And as they grow up, and as their parts... Uh, their paths uh, depart from one another and intermingle once again every once in a while. Jenny does nothing but reject the unconditional love that Forrest has for him. Jenny seeks after anything and everything that this world has to offer. And ultimately, Jenny contracts a terminal disease, leaving her entirely hopeless. And having done nothing to reciprocate the love of Forrest for her. But in her moment of need... Jenny cries out to Forrest, and Forrest comes with nothing but love for Jenny. And it's a very strange parallel to make, but that's us. Time and time again, we have rejected the love of God and are entirely undeserving of it. But that does not change his love for us, even amidst our brokenness and our sin. God shows his love for us, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And so even today, as we are surrounded 
by the brokenness of this world, by all the things that show us that this world is not what God made it in the garden. God still has this great, unending, unchanging love for us. And he's seeking us out and seeking your relationship with us. So I'm going to pray. Lord God, we are entirely undeserving of anything that you would have for us, God. Lord, you created us in the garden perfect, giving us everything that we needed, and we rejected you. God, we rejected your plans for us. We rejected your provision for us, seeking out the things that we thought would satisfy, but God, they didn't. Lord, we are broken and surrounded by brokenness. We are bound time and time again on our own to follow the ways of our sin nature down the path to destruction. But God, you call us out of that. You sent Christ to pay the price that we couldn't pay for ourselves. So Lord, though we don't deserve it, your love for us reaches out. So God, would you be working in and through us this week and this year and in all of our lives, God? That we might walk in communion with you, Lord. That we might walk independent, dependently on you. God, because we can't do it on our own. Well, on our own, we are bound to fail, but you have called us beyond just our failure and our brokenness. So God, would you be working in my heart and in the hearts of everyone here in this room and all around, Lord, that your name would be praised, that your kingdom would grow and that you would be glorified, God, because you are the one worthy of all glory, not us. So God, we invite you in here tonight and this week. Be moving. Because anything apart from you, Lord, is... It's just empty brokenness. God, if you are in it and you are moving, Lord, that is what you've called us to. So, Lord, be moving in us. Pray this in your name. Amen. Y'all can stand and sing with us. <laughs>